And you may be seated. If you can. <laughs> Hopefully it's difficult to sit down because that's a great, great song of praise and reminder of what we really want to talk about today. In fact, um, I, I want to, uh, just before I go on vacation for a couple of week- weeks, I want to give you some jet propulsion for your spiritual life. Anybody interested in that? Some jet propulsion. Uh, I'm, I'm concerned that, uh, okay, that's good, I'm glad, because I'm concerned that, that as I look around, we might find ourselves a bit sputtering in our spiritual lives or, or stagnating or, or settling. And uh, that's not, in fact, the vision that Christ has for us in our lives with Christ. Uh, maybe it's just me, but I'm just feeling a little bit like as I, as I look at the landscape of Christianity, I'm, I'm not sure if Christ is really the priority of Christians' lives in the way that he ought to be, in the way that the scriptures teach us. In fact, in uh, 2004, McLean's did a survey, and in fact, in this survey, uh, the, they discovered that one-third of Canadians claim to be born again. Can you imagine? One-third of Canadians claim to be born again. Now, I'm struggling with that statistic. I'm struggling whether or not they really understand the definition of what born again is. But let's take maybe the, the lowest possible numbers or some other numbers that have been thrown out. Because, because if it's one third, that means that 50,000 people in Oshawa today are sold out for Jesus Christ. Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be something spectacular? Well, let's take the numbers more realistically, as, as others have done, Ipsos Reed and some other polls. They suggest that maybe it's down around the numbers of 12% or 10%, or some people even go as low as 7%. And I'm inclined to think it might even be lower than that. But let's be somewhat optimistic. And let's say if it's 12%, that means that there's fifteen to 18,000 people in Oshawa today who are claiming to be sold out for Jesus Christ. Can you imagine how the world would be turned upside down if fifteen to 18,000 people in our city were sold out for Christ, who had jet propulsion in their lives spiritually? Well, I, I'm believing that that's something that's necessary, but, but looking around, I'm, I'm wondering, the Ipsos Reed poll of evangelicals in 1993 said that 53% of the people said that you don't need to go to church to be a good Christian. Now, I, I know that some of you will disagree with me on this, but I, I think that's nonsense. I don't think it's possible to be a good Christian and not go to church. But, but what's more alarming is that 10 years later, the Ipsos Reed poll discovered that now 60% of evangelical Christians in Canada don't think it's necessary to go to church to be a good Christian. Now, I would suggest to you that what those numbers are really telling us is a more alarming thing, which is not that people are thinking you don't need to go to church. It's that people don't want to go to church. And the numbers are increasing, and we're seeing that reality even here at, at Calvary Baptist Church. Um, we have more people coming to Calvary less often, if that makes any sense to you. The, the worship frequency is down, service is down, giving is down, and time relating to spiritual activities is down. Doesn't sound to me like fifteen to 18,000 people sold out for Jesus Christ. As Calvin told us this afternoon, there's going to be billions of people sold out for soccer. Kicking a ball around. Now, I, I like to do that thing once in a while, but come on. Realistically. And, and so, um, I would say that we are living in a crisis of casual Christianity. Because I think, in fact, 
What we find in our culture today, the most highly prized thing in life is options. And I think that Jesus is just becoming another option. Even to those who claim to be born again. In fact, our culture prefers to be casual almost about everything. I would say it's a growing crisis. And I think some people are thinking there's a possibility that that one can be casual about Christ and have him too. I'm not sure where you find that in, in the scriptures. So I, I want to um, invite you this morning to turn with me to 2 Peter. I want to begin a series and then I'm going to go away. I'm just going to plant a bomb this morning and then leave for a few weeks. And, <laughs> and then come back. And I hope you're all here when I get back. Because I want, I want you to know that Satan wants you to go from intentional in your spiritual life to casual. At random, that's his deal. He knows he can't steal you away, but he does want to take you to casual. And um, I, I think he wants to take you from imperatives to inconsequential. Maybe, maybe somehow, somewhere, we thought that Christianity and being spiritual was more like a spell that God cast on us. That we just became a Christian and Zap, there was this spell on us and we became spiritual, passionate people. That's not the teaching of the New Testament scriptures. In fact, um, Peter, Paul, John, those who walked with Jesus. Well, Paul didn't walk with him, but he had an encounter with him and knew him. He walked his life with him. They teach differently. And maybe, maybe the, the, the issue for those who claim to be born again Christians is we really don't know what we have. Let me just remind you when we come to the table this morning of what you have as an introduction to 2 Peter. Because by the way, 2 Peter is also talking in light of the coming of the Lord. And he makes some statements. He makes statements like in verse 5 of 2 Peter chapter 1, for this reason make every effort. Uh, in verse 10 he says, therefore my brothers be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. It talks over in uh, chapter 3 verse 10, but since the day of the Lord will come like a thief, the heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the, the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to be holy and Live godly lives as you look forward to the coming of God, coming of Christ. Bear in mind in verse 15 and then down to verse 17 and 18. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless men and fall from the secure position. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Uh, Peter writes of this this passion to, to... Invest in your spiritual life. Maybe you don't know what you have. I I want to talk to you first of all about the glories of the person of Christ. Simon Peter, he says, a a servant, verse 1, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who 
who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil. I, I'm going I'm to talk to you about dynamite this morning. Not, not because I've invented anything, but because Peter is talking to us about something so amazing that if you invest in your life in this, it will radically change you in ways that you've never perhaps experienced before. This is an amazing insight that he wants us to have. The glories of the person of Christ. By the way, something you have that you weren't born with. He says you have received a faith. Now you weren't born with this. It's something at one time you did not have. Now, But to those who have it. That's who he's talking to this morning. That's who I'm talking to this morning. I'm talking to those who have it. This a faith. I want you to know about this faith. It's, it's, by the way, essential Christianity. You can't be a Christian unless you have this faith that he's talking about. And by the way, it's a faith that we've acquired not in our own. Not in our past goodness, not in our present goodness, not in our future goodness. It's not like God looked some down the line and said, Well, they're gonna be, Calvin's going to be a really good guy. I'm going to pull him into my family. No, that's not how it is. All of our good works, past, present, future, would be as filthy rags in God's sight. Now, you've received a faith. It's not in our own. By the way, that word received is also not by our effort. It was received, this faith. It's a belief. It's a trust. It's particular In fact, the word received there is the same word that would be used in other places for drawing a lot. It's not by chance, though. It's by sovereign law. By sovereign choice of God. And he calls it, in our translations, a faith as precious as ours. In the uh, King James Version of the uh, like precious faith. What it means is it's not of a different quality. You know, some people say, well, you, you've just received a better faith than I received. No, no, no. If you're, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you've all received a like precious faith of the very same quality. Each one of you. Not different. And by the way, there is only this. This is the true faith. Our faith in Christ Jesus. We live among a culture that loves to talk about the faith communities. Uh, and, and there's this, these varieties of faiths. There's only this, this faith, and it's of the same value. It's, it's, it's not just any faith. It's not all faiths being equal. It's this faith of equal value. You've received this faith. It's enough to save. So this faith, of course, is not relying on our own ability or... Our ability to be good enough, or if we could work hard enough. But notice what it says in your, in your Bible. To those who, what? Through 
This is how you get this faith. Through the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. It was through him, the perfection of the triune God. That's what Paul wrote to the Romans in Romans chapter 1, verse 17. He says to them that it is by the faith, by faith in the righteousness of Christ that is imputed to you or that you have, that is credited to you, placed on you, you live. The righteous shall live by faith. This faith. Through the righteousness of God and Savior, underline that, Savior Jesus Christ. There, there is no other Savior. I, I'm talking to you this morning about what you have. Do you know what you have? Because maybe that's the issue. Maybe people don't really know what they have. You have this faith. It's an amazing thing. Through the righteousness of Christ. That's, that's why the other faiths do not have this faith. This saving faith. Because it's only through the righteousness of a perfect Christ. Oh, the Muslims can't have this faith. Because Muhammad wasn't perfect. The the Buddhists can't have this faith because Buddha was not perfect. Hindus cannot have this faith because 3,000 of their gods are not perfect. The New Agers cannot have this faith because... They have faith in the God of themselves. And we are not perfect. This faith is based upon the perfection of Jesus Christ, our Savior. That's what you have. But to those who have received this faith, Peter writes and says, Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Maybe you didn't know so much was available to you. Maybe not only did you not know what you have, but you don't know how much is available to you. Do you realize that that this amazing grace and peace is available to you in abundance? Now, by him saying that, that means that, that you don't necessarily just acquire an abundance of the grace and peace of God. As if you have to do nothing and it just falls upon you. Now, Peter is saying... um, I want this grace and peace of God to be in abundance in your life. I want you to experience, not to be casual about what you have, not to be casual about your faith, but to prioritize it. This grace being the undeserved help of God. Does anybody need that? Do you need that? Do you need that in full measure? Do you need the undeserved help of God every day? I certainly need that. I I need that in full measure. Do I need the peace of God? Do I need to have that settled joy of security in my faith in Christ? Know that I have it. Know that I know that I know him. Do I need that? Do you need that? Do you need that in quantity? Do you need that in great measure? I do. I I need gobs of grace and gobs of peace. Peter says you can have that. You need it. But he says you can only have it through, what? The knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. You you don't get this good living stuff. This, this, uh, This grace and peace. 
you, you don't get this by just um, um, living life. Going, getting up every day and going off to work and coming home. No, no, it requires that you, in fact, get to know the person of Jesus Christ. That you, that you hang out with God. It's, and by the way, the word here, knowledge, is not, not facts. It's not a gathering of more facts about Jesus. It's in fact experiencing what it is to know Jesus as your personal Savior. To know Him as your personal Lord. To know Him. Relate to Him. To be completely dependent on a deepening knowledge of the person of Christ. What Peter is saying, in fact, if you do this increasingly, you will have an abundance of grace and peace in your life. If you do not, you will not. The Christian life is not an automatic life. It's not an autopilot life. It's a participation in all that Jesus is. Maybe, um, maybe you've been trying to be godly with limited success or thought that you could become godly by default. I want you to notice what he says in verse 3. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness, again, through our knowledge of him who called us. Christianity is not information, facts, doctrine. It's a receiving of power. A power to make the practice of the information that you receive about God actually take effect in your life. So I want to talk to you secondly about the greatness of Christ's power. We talked about the greatness of Christ's person. I want to talk to you about the greatness of Christ's power. Maybe some of us are thinking that the genuine faith is just like fire insurance. Once you get it, you tuck it away, and when you die, somebody digs it out, and they say, yeah, this person is okay, they're good enough to go to heaven. Maybe that's, maybe that's what you're thinking this, this special faith is all about. It's, it's a fire insurance policy. But, but Peter's writing here and saying, no, no, you, you have to make your calling and election sure. You, you have to invest in life in Christ. You, you have to, uh, there's a certain characteristic lifestyle that, that comes along with, with being a passionate follower of Jesus Christ. And, and Peter calls it here, life and godliness. That, that uh, we've gone through two essential Christian realities, a faith, faith in Christ, And grace and peace are essential to Christianity. And he gives a a third one here that's essential to Christianity. Life and godliness. And he says, we need it. He doesn't say we have it. Although we do. But he says we need it. And because he's saying we need it, we need it in increasing measure. In fact, uh, by the way, the two are indivisible. 
You can't have life. And what he's talking here about is life, real life. You were formerly dead in your trespasses and sins. Now you've come alive in Jesus Christ. He's saying you can't have this life unless you have godliness. And you can't have godliness unless you have this life. Life and godliness are indivisibly tied together by the Apostle Peter in his writing here. He says we need this. It's um, to reject this godliness. Say, well, it really doesn't matter. You know, I, I believe in Jesus Christ, but it really doesn't matter how I live. To reject this godliness means that I am, I am selling out on my security in the hope of things to come. That's what he's teaching us here. If I'm ambivalent about it, if I lack passion, if I lack effort, I'm placing my hope in question. The audience that Peter was writing to, the ancient Greek culture, they were convinced it was impossible to be holy, impossible to be godly. They're right. That's why Paul wrote and said, you have divine power. This Christianity that you have, Peter says, is, uh, is the receiving of a power, the power of God, the power of Christ. But don't, make them, don't miss the point, he says here, through, again, our knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. By knowing him, by experiencing him, you are energized to, be a, to live a life of, of godliness through getting to know Jesus, through knowing him more. The more you hang out with him, by the way, the more attractive being like him is to you. Peter assures the Christian of power, but the evidence that you actually have it is godliness. Why, by the way, this um, godliness is, is a loving craving after Christ. It, it's, a, it's a walking in the, in, in the ways of Jesus Christ. Versus craving the things that, that pamper the flesh. It's making choices. That's how appetites are formed. Isn't it? By frequency. Isn't that how you acquire an appetite for anything? Almost always the first time you try anything except sugar. (laughs) It's like, "Eh, I don't know if I like that. You eat a few more times. Man, that's that's like going to be my new favorite thing. That's what um, Peter is saying here. You, you, you can't, you, you, you won't have life and godliness if you don't have an appetite for Jesus. It, it just won't happen. And, the, and it's based upon the frequency of, of hanging out with him. That's why this, this idea of, well, I, I don't have to come to church to be a good Christian is really reckless. Now, it's not that you don't have your Bibles at home with you and you can't uh, gather a few people around you and study the Word of God and all of that. No, no, no. 
But I would doubt that many people who have a lack of, of appetite for gathering together and worshiping God really also have this frequent relationship going with Jesus Christ every day of their lives. I just somehow doubt that. And so he says, um, you have this divine power. But notice as we come to the third and, and final point here. He called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. Remember, I promised you jet propulsion. Here it is. The grace of Christ's very great and precious promises. Maybe you've never known this before. See, the key here to becoming Christ-like is I, we, we talk about this. You've you got to become Christ-like. Practice the presence of Christ. Uh, get to know him. Hang out with him. All of his stuff. And it's still, it still seems a little bit conceptual. I, I don't know about you, but for, for me, I, I've gotta, it's got to be more specific than that. I've heard all of those platitudes before. You need to practice the presence of Jesus Christ. You need to hang out more with Jesus. We hear all of that stuff. But what is he really talking about? How can I become more like Christ? This is where he's talking about it. Maybe you've been unaware of how to experience godly life change in your life yes it's true that song we sung the power of his love is changing me you're saying okay so jesus loves me so just because he loves me i'm changing is that what that song really means no there's more to it than that yes because he loves you he's changing you absolutely and yes because he's powerful he's changing you absolutely but how what do you have to do Through these, it says in the text. What are these? Look in the text, verse 4, or verse 3. His own glory and goodness. You know what the glory of, and goodness of, God, of Christ is? From the storehouse of his, the immensity of his awesome depth and weighty perfection. With all the goodness of Christ as icing on the cake. And his own glory... God has offered humanity very great and highly prized promises that totally work. This is what Peter is saying. Peter is saying the indescribable God of the universe has handed out tactics for lifestyle excellence if you will embrace them. Remember I told you this jet propulsion, this spiritual life is not something that you automatically grow in. You have to participate in. And, and the participation that Peter is talking about here is from the glory and goodness of Christ. He has given to us precious promises. And they're very great promises. They are tactics and strategies, if you will engage in them, for helping you to become more like Jesus. This is dynamite. Honestly, if, you, if you've never seen this before, this will radically transform your life. Through faith in divine power to affect divine promises or cause the promises to be effective, life and godliness will materialize in abundance in your life. And there is no other way. 
by the way, coming to church is not going to make it happen. That's not, I hope that's not the message you, you got from me. If I could just come to church seven days a week, then I would really be godly. No, no, I hope that's not the message that, that I'm proposing, because that's certainly not the message of the Scriptures. The message of the Scriptures, watch what it says here, that, that through these, in other words, from the own, Christ's own glory and goodness, He makes us good and gives us His glory... And then notice what it says, so that through them, through them what? What's the them? The precious promises right before. You may participate in the divine nature. Through precious promises, we participate in the divine nature of Christ. That's how you become more like Christ. If you do what Christ tells you, If you live out his promises, if you make it a part of your life today, you will become more like Christ today. That's the promise of this text. So I'm saying to you, find a promise in the scriptures and and dare yourself to live it. Versus the alternative, which is to, is to succumb to the cravings and desires of, of the flesh to pamper your physical life. Find a promise of Jesus Christ and, and dare yourself today to choose to live it. And what the word of God is saying to you is, you will become more like Christ. You will become a partaker of the divine nature. It's called the divi- divinization of the Christian. <laughs> That's what our lives are. That's what is supposed to happen to us. To partake of these promises. We participate in the divine nature that he's building in our lives. Uh, Let me just, let me take this into something practical for you. Want a great marriage, guys? You want a great marriage? Choose to love your wife. Choose to actually actively participate in the loving of your wife over against the natural possibilities that you might want to succumb to belligerence, unkindness, uncharitable, and all the other possibilities that you might choose to engage in that are other passions of your fleshly desires. Make the choice because there's a promise with loving your wife. Your prayers won't be hindered. Any of you guys in here need your prayers to be heard and answered? Do you? You don't? Yes, you do. You do, don't you? That's the promise. Live the promise. You begin to partake of the divine nature of Christ because to love your wife as Christ loves the church, you become like Christ. Now, ladies, you know I'm not letting you off the hook. I'm not just talking to the guys. Ladies, you want a great marriage? Of course you do. Choose to yield to the leadership of your husband. Over against the saucy, rebellious, lack of submissive attitude that you in your natural passions prefer to gravitate to. Why? Because Christ himself 
willingly respected and submitted to the Heavenly Father when he was on this earth and has set an example knowing the Father's will. If you, in fact, choose to submit and yield to the leadership of your husband, you will be women who actually partake of the divine nature and know the will of God in your lives. Is it worth it? Ladies, do you need to know the will of God? Then actively participate in the teachings of Jesus Christ. And you will. To those who are invited to sit at tables like this, they have a faith in Christ Jesus. They have um, life and godliness. They have grace and peace in abundance. And they are partakers of the divine nature. Now let me just say to you as we transition to the table. The symbols of this table, the symbol of this table is the cross of Jesus Christ. The passion of Christ to save you. The symbol of the Lord's table is no casual symbol. Would any of us around in this room classify the, the cross of Christ as casual? Well, the people who are invited to sit at this table, Paul says, John says, Peter says, Christ says, are not casual. They are committed followers of Jesus Christ who make every effort to add to their faith grace and peace and life and godliness and participation in the divine nature of Christ. That's who's invited to partake of the table of our Lord. Father, this morning as we come here, we won't dare come to this table casually. For the cross of Christ was not a casual payment for our salvation. And so, Lord, because of your passion for us, may we embrace the teachings of passion. I ask, because it is your will for us. In Jesus' name, amen. As we go this morning, I want to make sure, I want to make sure that you understand what, what the Bible's teaching here. I think in a nutshell, what I would say is that Christ is saying to us, if you take my word seriously, I will take you seriously. That's really what, that's really what Peter, I'd summarize it that way. If you have been given a faith to believe, to trust in Christ and in his word, If you will practice his word, he has promised to give you enabling power to live it. And in that enabling power to live his word, you partake, you participate in the divine nature. And you are becoming more like Christ. I have... um, on the basis of this study, 
transformed my personal devotion life. Let me give you an example. When I read a text now in the scriptures, I'm hunting for the promise. For instance, one of the texts this week was Psalm 9. And here's what I discovered in Psalm 9. The Lord is a refuge for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. Those who know your name will trust in you, for you, Lord, have never forsaken those who seek you. That's a promise. I underlined that. I put a P there. That's my promise for today. I'm going to believe that. I'm going to live that. I'm going to believe that that everything that happens in that given day, the Lord will not forsake me. And if I seek Him, He will not forsake me. I'm going to live that. And He will enable me. He will empower me. He will cause me to be more like Christ today. That's how it works. That's why I'm telling you this is dynamite. This is jet propulsion for the soul. This will revolutionize your life if you put this into practice. I want to invite you to come back tonight because tonight we're going to uh, share with each other some promises. I want you to come back and bring promises that are precious to you. We're going to share those. We're going to talk a little bit more about this text. We're going to sing a lot more and we're going to pray and we're going to dig into God's word and we're going to share with each other so that this will be something we really, really practice here at Calvary Baptist Church. Father, thank you for this time together. It's been rich. It's been a blessing. You have given us your word. Father, you do not want us to be uh, estranged from you. You you don't want us to be casual. You don't want us to to be unsettled and wonder uh, how we can grow. You have told us specifically. And not only have you told us, but you have invited us to engage in the power that you want us to have and experience what it is to partake of the divine nature and become more like Christ. All from your goodness and your glory. Because of your goodness, you'll make us good. And because of your glory, you will take us to glory. Thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, amen.